The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And on today's podcast, we're going to actually continue along with something we had done in a previous podcast. We're talking about some of the hot and growing markets in the data and AI, machine learning, cognitive tech, automation, analyst uh, analysis, um, um, you know, sort of parts of the analytics, I mean, part of the, of the markets. And um, if you are new to the AI Today podcast, you may not know that we've been spending a lot of time over these past over 240 or so episodes talking about kind of where these AI markets are going. A lot of it based on the research that we are producing here at Cognolytica as part of our Cog Access, which is our market intelligence that we do. We track well over 20,000 vendors in this crazy AI marketplace, um, expanding now to the data automation and analytics marketplace. Um, but we had over 20,000 AI vendors before we expanded even to automation and analytics. And as we observe these markets and we track for our customers, which are primarily large enterprises and government agencies, as well as technology vendors and solution providers, you know, we see changes in these markets as companies are putting AI into practice. And as we see these changes, well, we're sharing some of those insights with you here on our AI Today podcast. Exactly. We had talked about how in 2022, we wanted to focus our podcasts more on education, as well as highlight some of our research that we do in the space. You know, as Ron mentioned, we're analysts at Cognolytica, which is now focused beyond just artificial intelligence and machine learning to also data automation and analytics. And we said, you know, we we should share with our podcast listeners. Some of you are uh, Cog Access subscribers, which is to our market intelligence subscription, but some of you aren't. And so we wanted to make sure that you know you still can can gain insights from this podcast. So in a previous podcast, we had talked about the data labeling space. That is a hot market that we have been covering since 2019. We are the only analyst firm on the market who is doing pretty much any research in this space, but definitely to the extent and the depth that we go. Uh, so we encourage you to listen to that podcast if you haven't already, and I will make sure to link to it in the show notes. When we had produced our snapshot, which was in December of 2021, originally we had synthetic data as part of the overall data labeling landscape. And then as we continued to do more research into the space and look at the vendors there, we said, you know what, this really deserves to be its own market and break it out into its own snapshot report and coverage area. And so that's what we have since done. We also had a podcast recently that talked about our data infrastructure, the the general area of that. And in that podcast, we also talked about how we broke out synthetic data. But we wanted to devote today's podcast to synthetic data to talk to our audience about what it is, the importance of it, and why we're covering it. Yeah. So Synthetic data, if you have never heard that term, I wouldn't blame you because synthetic data as a term, while it's actually been around for many years, especially for those who are have been in the space and the market data science, 
um, as a term and an idea has been around for a long time. Actually, the first real use of synthetic data goes all the way back to the 1990s as an idea for accelerating and improving our machine learning projects. It's really gained a lot of traction over the last few years. And, you know, simply put, you know, as we all know, or as maybe you don't know, so <laughs> it will bring you up to speed, you know, machine learning, which is sort of the fundamental uh, cornerstone of what's making this latest wave of AI work, which is the giving the machines the ability to identify patterns and make predictions based on those patterns based on learnings from data. There's a few different ways of doing machine learning, and they, they generally group into three categories. There's supervised learning, which is giving machines examples of data and saying, I'm going to tell you what this data means, and you should basically learn from this pattern of data so that next time you see some new data, you can match that to what you've learned to see if it also should mean the same thing, what's called apply a label to that data, which is sort of the human-based meaning to that, to that data, right? The other forms of machine learning are unsupervised learning, which is a machines that don't need to learn a label. They just need to, to find correlations and groupings and clusters and patterns among the data and say, okay, these things are like each other. It doesn't need to have like a, a proper label attached to it, especially a human applied one, right? And the third type of machine learning is something called reinforcement learning, which is a, a learning trial by error, trial and error, you know, machines doing things over and over again and, and knowing what their end goal is and trying to achieve that goal. So each form of machine learning really has different uh, purposes. But in this latest wave of AI, supervised machine learning has made the most progress and especially around areas of natural language processing with conversational systems and chatbots and text analysis of all sorts and recognition systems, which are two of the seven patterns of AI, where we have image recognition and audio recognition, the amazing amounts of data that we have, this big data, could be put to very good use to train machines to understand those patterns. So here we are now with machine learning, supervised learning. And what we need is we need the data to basically train these systems to recognize these patterns. Exactly. And if you've ever worked with data, you know that you don't always have the data that you need <laughs> to train the <laughs> what you need. Uh, so there's different ways that you can go about getting getting that data. Um, and one way to do that is, you know, if you just don't have the data that you need, but it's needed in order to make sure that you're training your system sufficiently, then you should look into synthetic data as a possible solution for that. So, you know, there's different examples that we give. Um, one of them is if you are, you know, you need items to uh, your training for, uh, you know, image recognition with a retail store, for example. Well, or if you're trying to identify a bottle, uh, you know, different ways that it's crumbled up. You don't want a human to go in and crumple a bottle 20,000 different ways, different shapes and sizes and colors. Uh, you can just, you know, generate that data automatically. So that would be a really good example of where synthetic data would be used, or if you need to, you know, have different items positioned in different locations, rather than going in and manually doing all that, you can just have it synthetically generated so that you're not having to go in and have a human move their arm or go and move a box a certain way, tilt it, uh, you know, different cars, whatever it is that you're training, you can synthetically train that data right. or get the synthetic data. 
Right. So basically, uh, as we t- discussed in our data labeling report, there's this idea of ground truth data, which is sort of like the, the real world, right? That's why it's called ground truth. It's sort of like, okay, I'm taking a picture of a, of a stoplight, or I'm taking a picture of a, of a car at an intersection, or I'm taking a picture of a cat. <laughs> and when I label, I'll be like, okay, this is a cat. And it's ground truth because someone actually took a photo and they said, yeah, this is a stop sign. And I took a photo of it and I can draw a box around it. And I could say the thing that's inside, the whole image is not the stop sign. Only the thing inside the box is the stop sign. As we discuss in our data labeling uh, research, as well as our podcast, it's the human who, if when you have a bunch of ground truth data, you just have a bunch of images. So you need a human to go in and apply that extra meaning. They need to draw the boxes, attach the lines, or if it's text, like this is a contract versus this is an invoice. Someone needs to go in and tag it and say, yes, this is a contract or extract the entity saying, this is the name of the company, or this is the address or something like that. And then if you give enough examples as mentioned, yeah, the machine will learn those things, but it is human intensive one, to generate the data in a lot of cases. It is also human intensive to annotate the data, which is to come in and after you have the raw data, which has not been annotated, someone has to come in and do it. So as Kathleen was mentioning, you know, one sort of shortcut that can be applied is having machines generate it. And this whole field of machine-generated data is called synthetic data because it's, it doesn't actually exist. It's like these, this, the data is not representative. It's representative of the real world, but it doesn't actually exist in the real world. So we can have uh, machines generate that data. And the thing about machine-generated data is that, well, it's not good for every situation because, well, you know, uh, we can't you know, just having a machine generate, let's say, random groups of words doesn't mean that those words are magically a sentence. So there's, we, we have some challenges in making sure, and we'll talk about this later in the podcast, what the challenges are of synthetic data, but synthetic data is appropriate when we have a good understanding of the kind of range of data that we're expecting. And we can basically generate all these different versions of that data so that we are covering all of the various different possibilities for that data. So that is really kind of where what synthetic data is all about. So maybe we'll do a little recap here and talk a little bit about where we see synthetic data just in general in the whole classification of data infrastructure and all the other things we're trying to do with our data. Exactly. So we'll give a quick overview because we did devote a podcast to our, you know, data data infrastructure landscape. I will link to that. I definitely encourage you to check that out so that if you're interested in digging deeper into that, that podcast was devoted to that, uh, this whole topic. But, you know, very, very quickly uh, within our data infrastructure down at the bottom, you know, we are big fans of the DIKUW pyramid. So if you take any of uh, our CPMAI methodology and education, you know, we talk about the uh, DIKUW pyramid a lot. We like it because data is its foundation. That's what the D stands for in the DIKUW pyramid. So obviously data is incredibly important to what we focus on. In the data infrastructure layer, data generation is at the bottom. And we break that down into digitization and synthetic data. So at first, as I had mentioned, we had this in data labeling, which is what we classify as data augmentation. But we said, you know what? Actually, it's it's really not data augmentation. It falls into data generation because we are creating that data. As Ron said, it does not exist in the real world. So maybe we'll give a quick kind of breakdown of how we define data augmentation versus data generation. 
Right. And so the it that we were referring to there was synthetic data, right? So synthetic data, uh, basically we have two ways of getting the real, uh, of getting uh, sort of aspects of the real world into a computer. Because at the end of the day, computers still only a- understand zeros and ones. I mean, we've made them really abstract. They can do all sorts of amazing things with uh, GPUs and CPUs. We got networks, we have the cloud, we have all sorts of infrastructure. But at the end of the day, we are still talking ones and zeros a lot of ones and zeros, but still ones and zeros. So how do I get a stop sign into the computer? Well, you got to take a picture of it. That's actually digitization where I'm taking something that does not have digits and I'm making digits out of it. I take a photo and next thing you know, I have a grid of digits, you know, and those digits represent, you know, the color value of the pixel at that location. Well, I've just turned the real world into digits. That's what digitization is. Well, the alternative to turning the real world into digits with digitization is just generating that data and generating that data artificially. And that's what synthetic data is all about. And the reason why we have it down in data generation is that data augmentation says, okay, if I already have data that already exists in some form, but it's not uh, enough, I need more data to put on top of that data so that I can make machines do something. This is called applying metadata or applying all these other aspects. Now, we can apply any data for any reason. I could take multiple columns and I could take, let's say, the you know address field and I can take the zip code and then I can create a field that's the latitude and latitude and longitude. And all I'm doing is I'm just converting it, but I'm adding extra things because, hey, I'm trying to build a map and I need the latitude and longitude. The address doesn't really do me any good because the address doesn't actually tell you where something is on the planet. The latitude and longitude does. That's not labeling. That's just you know augmenting the data. The machine is doing something with that data and doing some calculations to get there. But if I need a human to go in there and say, no, this is a cat, the machine can't figure out cat from a grid of pixels. A human needs to go in there and do it. Now, of course, the alternative is if the computer is generating that image of the cat, then the computer already knows what it is before it's generated it. So it can generate both the, the original data, the, the cat or the rows of, of information, and the label at the same time. So we could do both. So I could say, I'm going to generate a picture. I'm going to um, artificially generate some satellite imagery because I don't have enough good satellite imagery. And I will take what looks like an aircraft carrier and I will put it in the ocean in some spot so that I can train uh, my computers to recognize uh, carriers or aircraft or whatever uh, among satellite image data. And um, well, I, I may not have enough <laughs> real-world satellite image data of carriers and airplanes, that sort of stuff. So I can generate that. And while I do that, I generate it, place the carrier or the plane in a particular, uh, maybe re- I do have a real piece of satellite imagery, and I just put those things in there. And and then I can draw a box around it while I'm putting it in there. I'll be like, okay, well, here's the box for where the carrier is inside of this image. The whole image is not the carrier, just the little part inside the box. So that is really why synthetic data is very attractive, because it can speed up the process, one, of uh, having data for labeling. And two, uh, the other thing it can really do is it can cover all like these, these edge cases, right? Uh, all these different situations where I may not be able to actually generate the data because it may be dangerous or impossible or difficult to do that. So, so really, that is sort of the case. I just want to make one additional note, and that it's not really an either or situation. It's not that you're doing synthetic data as a way of training your machine learning models or ground truth, real data with human annotation. A lot of times it's mixed together. We may have some good examples of real world ground truth data, and we augment that data with the synthetic data. We start with the synthetic data and we augment it with the real world data. You can look at it 
two sides of the same coin. So that's a good way of understanding sort of the relationship between synthetic data and uh, augmented data. I don't know, Kathleen, you want to add more to that, but that, that's sort of the general. Yeah, idea. I think that's a good point to note. You know, if if you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, oh, that's great, you know, I, do I have to pick one or the other? And the answer is no, you can have both. And a lot of people do have both as well. Uh, because in general, you know, you're going to have data, some data at least, that you're able to use. You just may not have enough data or you want, you know, different types of data. So it can be very complementary to each other. And that's important to note. Now, when we did talk about our data labeling, uh, you know, coverage area, kind of what is data labeling that podcast, we said we had a lot of vendors in the space. I think we, at the time of recording, maybe had 133. Um, Since we've broken it out, you know, some of the synthetic data vendors are now in its own category. But I mean, every it was like every time we turned and we looked at something else, a new data labeling vendor popped up and we're now, you know, well over 150. I think we're at about 157 or so. In synthetic data, that has grown a lot as well. You know, once we broke it out and we said, let's look at some of the vendors in this space. I mean, I think we're at about 78 synthetic data data vendors. So there's a lot in both markets. Uh, One thing that we do want to point out as well is that the data labeling vendors and the synthetic data vendors, there's not much overlap. Uh, That doesn't mean, you know, that you can't still have both in your project. But if you are looking at a project, then for now, at least when we're recording this podcast, things always change in this space. Uh, But you probably will be looking at, you know, more than one vendor. So you'll want at least one from each category that's okay. Make sure that you're asking the right questions. That's why we give, you know, um, decision factors and guided questions in all of our snapshots and in our market intelligence that's included on our site for all our COG Access subscribers, because we understand that this can be a little tricky to navigate, especially when it's new markets that you may not necessarily know very well. We want to make sure you're asking the right questions so that you get the most appropriate product. So that is just one thing that I do want to call out as well. If you are looking at vendor selection and you are saying, okay, wow, I don't even know where to begin. Don't worry. You know, we can help you listen to podcasts like this. Reach out if you have additional questions as well. Yeah. So one one thing I want to note is that that there's really six we we track, you know, basically six primary types of data that are used for machine learning systems to train machine learning systems. And you can synthetically generate any of those types of data. I, I'm, we're going to get into simulated versus synthetic data in just a moment, but I think first, before we get into that, it's important to understand what, what we mean by that. What are the different data types? I mean, any sort of ground truth data that we need for data labeling, we can generate synthetically. So of course, we just talked about image data. You generate images of things, right? You can do the same thing with videos. You can artificially, you know, with, with computer graphics or other approaches, which we'll talk about, you can move something around and say, oh, you know, here's a plane moving through the sky or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can also synthetically generate text data. So we talked about the dangers. You can't just randomly string words together or even letters together and miraculously make words or sentences that make sense. But we do have ways of taking um, existing documents, for example, like, you know, for example, contracts, where we might have contract language that already exists, but but it's not always in the same place in a document. So we can just generate sort of this random set of contracts that are all good contractual legal language. They're just in different order. Maybe we, you know, take like a, there, there may be a clause that says, 
um, you know, uh, th this contract is valid in the state of wherever, and you can basically change that and make it every different state or different countries in the world. You can have all the different variations with like arbitration clauses. And then what you're doing is that you don't actually have to have the real world examples of every single one of those contracts and every single one of those permutations, you might see that it's actually probably impossible to get real world examples of contracts like that. But you might want to train your systems to be able to recognize any sort of contractual language, even if it doesn't necessarily hasn't, hasn't shown up because you want to make your system robust. Well, you can just generate it. You can just have a system out there just generating all these different instances. And you know what? When I talk about coverage and risk, you might actually get a very, very good degree of coverage. You might say, yeah, this represents 99.5% of all the contracts we'll ever really see in the real world. Even though we're doing crazy things to our contracts, um, they're all you know, possibilities and we don't need to do anything more than that. And the exceptions are going to be very, very rare. We can do the same thing. We also have these natural language generators we can use. We can use GPT-3 or BERT to create, say, you know, all sorts of stuff based on example, right? You can, it's not even just words or language or, or poetry or whatever like that. You can use GPT-3 to create programming code, um, all sorts of, of anything that's represented as text. So we can synthetically generate all that stuff. And we'll talk about the methods of synthetic generation in just a moment. Um, but, you know, we could do, we have three other data types. Or we could do, uh, well, I'll have Kathleen talk about these other, other ones starting from, from audio. Sure. Yeah. You know, we can also synthetically generate audio data as well. So, you know, that can be any, any type of audio such as animal noises, but also so we can have that non-human data, you know, maybe machinery noises, animal noises, anything you think of as, as non-human, and then obviously human as well. Um, and then we can also generate uh, sensor fusion and point cloud data. We can synthetically generate that if we don't have enough of that needed, you know, information in the real world. So, you know, sensor inputs, they come from obviously sensors such as LIDAR, radar, ultrasonic, and other sensors as well. Um, if we need to generate that, artificially generate that, then we can if we don't have enough of that real world data. And then you also can synthetically generate structured data as well. So structured data is, you know, anything with schemas and columns and rows um, that, you know, typically that that's, you know, what you can have in an enterprise. Think about a database, for example, but you can synthetically generate that data as well if it's needed um, so that you can you can get additional, you know, if you need to check different things like, you know, if there's patterns, generate new data, maybe that mirrors some of the data that you currently have. If you want to look at patterns or ranges, things like that. Yeah. And actually, strangely enough, um, there are a lot of companies that are in the synthetic generation of structured data. And I'll explain why that is. You're like, huh, why are they creating like fake database rows, for example, or, you know, fake customer information um, or artificial, say fake, just artificial, synthetically generated. And there's actually some really good reasons for it. And, and surprisingly, there's a lot of vendors just focus just on that issue of generating a synthetic structured data, which is not as common in the data labeling world, because when you have data, having a human go in there and apply data labeling is actually most often done with unstructured data because computers can't understand it. So we need the machines, the, sorry, the humans to go in there and label it. But machines can understand structured data. So there's not as much need for humans to go in there and label structured data. 
But what if we don't have enough structured data? And that's when I'm going to get into that. One thing, as I mentioned a few times, is this idea of simulated versus synthetic data. And simulation is this idea of really, it comes down to how the synthetic data is generated. So, so and this actually kind of is a little bit of a hint on basically what I just talked about now, which is that, well, when I was talking about generating all those contracts, I don't really need like some crazy artificial intelligence to do it. I can just say, well, wait a second, a contract has all these sections. Maybe it's variable. Some contracts have more, some contracts have less, but like, you know, you can think of all the possible sections in a contract, you know, termination clauses and force majeure and like, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> residence location and, you know, all sorts of stuff, points of, you know, contact and things like that. And, and, what you could do is you could start thinking about, well, wait a second, I could just generate these things programmatically. I can write a program that basically, you know, kind of goes through every permutation of every possible thing. And maybe I have a templating system where I'm like, okay, well, here is a short version of that contract. Here's the long version of that contract. Or here's a short version of that clause. And here's the long version of that clause. And here are the parts of the clause that I should replace. And here are the things that I can replace it with. Now, it might be a lot of permutations. <laughs> if you think about a contract, I might have like hundreds of different permutations or maybe even thousands. But to a computer, hundreds and thousands, psh, those are small numbers, man. Compared to petabytes, thousands is like kilos. That's like computer can do that in a second and it's sleep. So if you can give the machine sort of just a bunch of rules, you say, hey, generate every possible version of this. It may come back with 100,000, 200,000, 2 million different versions of every contract. But you know what? It'll probably take the computer maybe like an hour, maybe less. I think computers are really fast. If you said generate 2 million versions of this contract using all these things, you'd probably sit there, kind of go check. <laughs> go get coffee. <laughs> yeah. And probably by the time you're, you're, you're back, it'll be done. And compare that to how long it would take to actually get a human to manually label. Oh, yeah. 200,000, it would be, it would be, it would be impossible. So that is, so that approach of synthetic generation is programmatic and, 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 and that, that works for certain things where there's formulas, but what if, what if I'm trying to have a person, if I'm trying to train an autonomous retail system and I can literally have like an infinite number of possibilities between the kind of person who's reaching for an item on a store shelf the actual item that's on the store shelf. How many other items are on the store shelf at the same time? Uh, lighting conditions, mm -hmm. height of the camera, whether whether something is blocking. You know, maybe you have two or three people and somebody's blocking a shot. It's called occlusions. You know, uh, to do all that programmatically would be absolutely ridiculous. So I need another approach. I can't necessarily take the programmatic approach. What I can do is I can think of it almost like it's a video game. And I can basically build like some 3D simulation, which is why it's called simulated. And I basically say, let me just, um, you know, I can keep creating these simulations of different people walking into the, you know, walking into the screen and picking an item off the shelf. And I can, you know, think of SimCity, right? I can basically create like a SimCity, a photorealistic one, right? Where I just like people are coming into the scene, picking something off a shelf. Now new things are on the shelf. And this approach to synthetic generation is called simulation because we're basically using simulators, right? <laughs> we're using 3D simulator. Most often is for image and video. Uh, training where I'm using simulators. And of course, this is a, just a different approach 
to generating synthetic data. Exactly. So, so I think, you know, one of the things that we, we can talk a little bit about is that like the vendors in the space, that's how they're starting to differentiate themselves. They're starting to differentiate themselves, one, based on the type of data. So some companies are focusing on image data, video data. Some companies are focused on these programmatic approaches to just like, hey, give me like, I'll make a rules-based engine, right? Think of it that way. And you tell me all the possibilities and I will generate text, usually text data or structured data, right? And then um, and then we have, and then so there's differentiation that way by, by data type. And then there's differentiation based on how they're going about doing it. There actually is a third approach. Um, and the third approach is of course, using what's called GANs, neural nets to create things that don't exist at all. So it's not a matter of simulation where I'm gonna someone's act like an actual computer uh, simulators going in there and saying, I will make a little airplane come down and, and I'll make the camera, you know, that's what simulators do, right? Actually, there are companies that have from the gaming world, you know, companies like Unity and others who are getting into synthetic data because they can create photorealistic simulations, right? And then you have others who are coming at it from the neural net world who are saying, I can create a GAN of a of a purse that does not exist, right? This purse does not exist. <laughs> it's actually, it's like called this person does not exist. But there's like a lot of versions of this where it doesn't actually exist. Now that only works for situations where you don't need to actually see that purse. So creating fake purses doesn't always work for everything. But th so there's really three those three approaches: the programmatic, uh, simulated, and uh, GANs based. And we just lump them all together and we call them all. Well, that all that's just different kinds of synthetic data, basically. So let's talk about kind of where we're starting to see. Uh, these synthetic data applications and what's, what is the reason for, for this becoming a hot space now? Exactly. So, you know, we talked about there's some applications such as retail applications that we had talked about where you're going to need this for a variety of different reasons because you can have those infinite combinations of people and products, movement, uh, different lighting situations that you're going to need to replicate. We also talked about geospatial and some intelligence where, you know, de depending on what industries you're in, especially government, specifically defense and intelligent, there are some geospatial applications that you're going to need to use to generate, you know, different, different real world scenarios that might be uh, too difficult to capture, uh, you know, or otherwise just dangerous to generate. Also, if you have some data and you need additional data, maybe, you know, you want to have different cloud coverage in different photos. Um, you can genetic, you can um, synthetically generate that. In addition to those two applications, though, we're also seeing it with autonomous applications and automotive applications as well. So, you know, sometimes generating that real world ground truth data is really important and very necessary, but also really expensive. And automotive and autonomous vehicle applications are seeing that. So they're starting to use some synthetic image and video and sensor fusion data to help augment their real world data and real world applications. So we had talked about how, you know, you can you can use a combination of both. And that's a great example of an area and an application that we are seeing both used. Also with digital twins, sometimes that synthetic data, you know, you want to simulate what's going on in factories and manufacturing applications. Providing that synthetic data in those situations is really helpful. Uh, so you're not, you know, uh, taking anything down for a while so that you can get certain data that you need. 
Also with medical imaging, we're seeing this. So, you know, you can use machine learning is being used for a wide range of different things. You know, we talk about how diagnostic, therapeutic, there's support applications as well. Synthetic data is used to help train these systems so that you're not taking real world data that may be protected, have private patient information in there and using it to train systems. You can train it on synthetic data and then not have to worry about that. Also, we're seeing it applied in fraud detection as well. So, you know, a lot of finance, banking, they're seeing that there's some benefits to using synthetic data so they can train systems without having, again, to use that private financial information or data, no no issues there. They can use it, um, they can use synthetic data to help uh, train fraud systems. Yeah, and actually, fraud detection this, systems. Fraud detection systems. And this actually brings up that previous case I was talking about. Why would these all these companies exist that would do synthetic s- structured data, which is basically like uh, rows of data in a database where the data has been generated by a machine? That's not real data, world data. Well, there's many of these situations. Those last two are the most important, which is that if I if I have private information, if I'm trying to say train a robo advisor to give financial advice. I'm, you know, training it on the actual customer data, financial data. Okay, it's okay to have that a little bit, but first of all, I can't guarantee that I'm seeing every possible case of how my customers might be spending their money, saving their money, investing their money, right? And all of that's really structured data. It exists in a database. This is not like unstructured where it's trying to read emails or something like that, right? I got records in a database that says, you know, Joe and Kathleen and Frank and Ron and Pamela, we're all, you know, spending our money in different ways, right? Investing it for different goals. But if I want to build like a real robust robo-advisor that can really provide advice and guidance for anybody like new students and older people, whatever, when I just generate, I can look at my existing data and say, okay, here are the, the valid ranges and the valid patterns. You know, an age should not go below zero. <laughs> and it should probably, <laughs> I hope not. Probably, probably not go over like 130. I don't know what you can sort of figure out the maximum ranges, right? Or you can even look at your own clients. You're like, yeah, my clients are generally retired people or whatever. You can sort of come up with those ranges, right? And, and you could just, you could say, just generate that, just generate new data. The names don't matter. You can make up any name because you're not trying to train the system on name recognition. You're trying to train it on something else. And so you could come up with like millions and millions of rows. And you can even come up with sort of the, the rows that match the patterns of behavior. The same thing with fraud analysis. It's you know to train your systems based on the fraudulent patterns that have already happened might be good to spot yesterday's fraud, but how do you spot tomorrow's fraud? Well, maybe I shouldn't just be training on the data that exists. Maybe I should be training my systems on potential future data, like, okay, what would happen if this happened? So there are a lot of companies that are surprisingly a large number. I was surprised at how many we found, but there are a lot of companies that are just focusing on, yeah, we will create privacy-focused structured data that is guaranteed, because this gets into the challenges we're going to talk about, to be as closely matched to your real-world data, but the data itself doesn't uh, isn't real, so that one, we're not risking private information going the wrong place. You don't want this information to end up in some... Amazon S3 buck and someone just discovering financial transaction information or or medical data. Oh my God. You know, someone (laughs) which has happened. You know, people like, I'm just going to train my I'm going to train my machine learning system. So they download all of this real data, they put it up in the cloud, 
And then they use it to train their system. And it's like, this is real data. This is dangerous, dangerous stuff. So, so artificially creating, synthetically creating it, one addresses that risk because none of that data is real, right? But, but it also can help cover all of these different potential cases where those cases might not actually exist in your real data. So exactly. we can kind of solve both of them, but we got some challenges. You, you may already be, be thinking about this, like, wait a second here. I, this isn't perfect. This sounds too good to be true. Yeah, Why don't we just good. always use synthetic data? <laughs> so we, we do want to, right. So we talked about, you know, the upside of it and all these potential use cases for it, where we're seeing it being applied and how it really can enhance what a team has and move projects forward. But we also want to talk about the flip side and some of the challenges that come with synthetic data as well. Because whenever you're using a technology, know, you know, there's always two sides to a coin. So pay attention to the challenges as well. One challenge that we've seen is, I mean, everybody talks about bias in data, but there's potential introduction for bias when you're using synthetic data as well. You can have over-representation or under-representation in particular data that you're generating. And that, you know, you know that if you're over-representing or under-representing data, your outcomes will not necessarily reflect the real world. And you, you may be putting bias into that data unintentionally. So just make sure that that's something that you're aware of when you are using synthetic data to try and minimize the introduction of bias, because that can really make projects not turn out the way you'd like. Another yeah, thing you want to add to that? No, that, that's exactly right. And you just have to be careful. You, you basically, this is kind of where having some ground truth data is helpful because you can, you know, you can mix in the real world with the generated world and <laughs> make sure things don't bias. But yes, you're, you're on a roll. Yeah. We've also seen, you know, another, another challenge that you can have is there can be inaccurate or an incomplete reflection of real world data because you're generating this data. You know, you don't have that, you know, ground truth data. You're not taking it from the real world. You're also maybe not, you know, using real customer data, real patient data, real whatever data, and you're generating it. So it, you know, maybe an okay um, reflection, but it may not be the full picture. So that can also pose another challenge. Just make sure that you're not introducing potential gaps or errors in that generated data that may not match the real world. We always talk about, you know, don't produce this in a bubble and it works great in your little bubble, in your little test case, and then you go and apply it in the real world and it looks nothing like the real world. So make sure that you are looking at all of that and really trying to, uh, you know, look at what the real world is is doing and saying, depending on what industry you're in and try and have your synthetic data be a reflection of that. And then another challenge that we've seen is, you know, we always talk about not all data is created the same. Well, not all vendors are either. And there, there is mixed sophistication with synthetic data generation technology. And, you know, Ron had talked about earlier how some vendors use programmatic rules-based generation, others use machine learning-based simulation approaches. The, there's different methods to doing this, and you need to research these vendors and figure out what they're doing and figure out what method is best for you. Each come with their own benefits and challenges. You know, there can be in generation speed and accuracy cost, 
errors for, you know, potential errors, all of them have their own benefits and challenges to that. So that is really, if you are going to be looking to use synthetic uh, data vendors, we encourage you to look at those guided questions and decision factors so that you're getting an understanding of the market and what you should be asking these vendors. Because at the end of the day, again, we don't want that mismatch and misalignment. We had an entire podcast series on AI failures and common reasons that we've seen for projects failing. We try and point these out to you ahead of time so that you're not making these errors that we've seen others make. So just go into it knowing, hey, these are, you know, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe these are some questions I should be asking. Take a look at the guided questions and decision factors so that you're asking the right questions. Because I don't think vendors at the end of the day, honestly, want to work on projects that they are not best suited for. It doesn't help them shine either. No, I think we've gone into this topic in some pretty good detail. <laughs> Hopefully you're understanding sort of uh, what synthetic data is. That's our purpose for you to forecast and a little bit about when and how you'd use and some of the challenges and some of the differences between the different approaches. And, and we certainly spent a lot more time on this in our market intelligence, but we're here to share this with you because we're trying to educate you into the market. Um, I, a couple more things I want to share with you is that this market for synthetic data is very hot. It's actually started with some very, you know, nascent companies. You know, uh, we first started really tracking this in 2019. Back then, maybe like tens of millions of dollars, really nothing much significant was really spent on the space. But in the last few years, this market has gotten really hot. And we we expect it to be well over a billion dollar market by 2027. You might say you might be saying, wait a second, you guys are overly optimistic. I'm like, well, um, you should be, be paying attention to what's happening in the news. First big thing was that Facebook, the new Meta, the old Facebook, uh, acquired a uh, synthetic data company called AI.Reverie or AI Reverie, um, and and I want to we'll point out a little bit like well wait wait a sec what are, are they doing something why are they doing synthetic data and it turns out there's a very big overlap between uh, the metaverse you know what's happening in the metaverse and synthetic data because actually all of the metaverse is synthetically generated so it's kind of like not much of a secret like you're in this fake world and um, having the fake world match the real world is I guess what uh, the metaverse is all about. So that's kind of you know the what's happening there and and why this is hot. But but it's as mentioned, it's well beyond just um, you know chasing the potential future of the metaverse and and all that sort of stuff. You know the markets are really hot because of as mentioned the adoption. Of, uh, of of using data for things that we're trying to solve today, medical limit, you know, medical stuff, and autonomous uh, vehicles, and autonomous retail, and geospatial intelligence, and not having enough data, and the cost and complexity of real world data, and the challenge of uh, of of um, annotating all that data. And so, um, one thing I think maybe we'll sort of sort of wrap it here is that we, because of how hot this market is, and because we're actually tracking now something like 70 or so vendors that are just in the synthetic data space, there is no doubt you know, that these companies are going to be targets of acquisition. Uh, a lot of the machine learning platform companies will start saying, wait a second, we can add some flavor of synthetic data to what we're doing. A lot of the companies that are right now in the data labeling and annotation space might sort of see it as an, uh, a pretty natural addition to their platform to say, what if you don't have enough data? Don't you worry. We can help you generate that. We can help you mix it with your ground truth data and we can optimize it. Over time, we are, as a result of all this, over time, we're expecting that, you know, maybe 
while synthetic data is like a percentage or two of the total training data that's being used for AI systems, you know, it's going to be well over 25, 26. So we're saying 27% by the year 2027. That 27 and 27, that's the uh, that's the number. So that's kind of what we we're expecting. So you probably will start hearing synthetic data a lot. And uh, hopefully you can say um, that, you know, we helped you get the understanding that you needed to, to make it work. Exactly. So hopefully this podcast, you know, whenever Ron and I do these podcasts, we're like, oh, this won't be that long. And 40 plus minutes in, we had a lot to say on synthetic data. So hopefully you have learned a little bit about synthetic data, some use cases, challenges that you need to watch out for. Uh, you know, and hopefully you're thinking, oh, how can I use this in, you know, applications that I'm applying at work and uh, different, different things with that. So definitely stay tuned. As I mentioned, we are spending 2022 focusing more on education and also on covering different areas of the market, explaining it in greater detail, um, including our different coverage areas. So we talked about data labeling this year. Now we've talked about synthetic data, also our data infrastructure layer of our layer cake uh, and where that fits into it and why why we created it and how we've kind of put the different pieces together in there. So as always, please reach out if you have any questions, if you're interested in learning more about COG Access, which is our market intelligence offering or anything else, our CPMAI or Cognitive Project Management for AI Education. We have a lot of our podcast listeners go through that and hopefully, uh, you know, they have learned a lot in there. We, we love the feedback that we get from them. Uh, we always recommend groups of at least five go through that so that you can train your whole, whole team on doing AI right and not make some of those common mistakes that we've seen. And then if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us as well. We love to hear from our listeners. Go to iTunes, Spotify, your favorite podcast platform and give us a rating. We definitely check them out. We love to see your feedback, the topic different podcasts that you've really enjoyed. Um, and you can always email us info at cognolytica.com. That's info at C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A. If you have additional topics that you think we should cover or just want to get, like I said, additional information on things. So again, thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at cognolytica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.